Apparently not. Ah, now you can hear me. All right, let's go to God in prayer. Father, thanks for bringing us here tonight. For whatever reason we came, uh, you brought us here, uh, whether we can even recognize that or not. Uh, you call us to yourself. And so, Father, thank you for bringing us here. And, Father, help us as we engage you and as we uh, think about you and as we reflect on what you've said and what you've done, um, as we think about our lives and our lives in relationship to you. Father, give us courage. Um, give us hope. Um, help us to hear your voice. Uh, help us to discern what comes from you and and let everything else fall um, that isn't from you. Father, I pray that um, each person here would um, know you in deep and rich ways um, and experience your goodness. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We are finishing up our Prophet, Priest, and King series where we've been talking about um, Jesus' role as our prophet. Um, uh, He speaks to us the truth. Uh, As priest, he serves us, and as king, he rules over us. And then we, as his followers, do that as well. And then we talked about the kingdom of God and what that's about, what that looks like. And tonight we're going to finish that off by looking at um, an interesting phrase that that came we came across when we were trying to figure out our sermon schedule for this year, and somebody said, and I think Mark wrote down or Mark said it, um, a life full of God, not a full life with God. And so we're going to look at a life full of God vis-a-vis a full life with God. One of the things that people look forward to uh, is their retirement. This is weighing heavy on me. Um, This idea of retirement when I'll be able to finally do the things I've always wanted to do. I can sleep in, I can travel, I can take up a hobby, I can, you know, be, spend more time with my kids, I could start a business, I, I could read, paint, draw, write the great American novel, um, wear pajamas all day. Um, anyway, we kind of come to this whole idea of retirement or, or the end of our life and um, working life, and, and we get to do the things that we really want to do. Kathy and I got to meet with a guy who was, um, he's, a, he's a specialist in federal uh, benefits, and so Kathy works for the VA hospital, and so he helped us um, and was kind of describing the various things that were available to us and what we would have to do to get those things, those benefits. And and then he said, so what do you guys want to do in your retirement? And, and, and we said, well, mostly just, you know, read and go out to eat and sleep in and rest and goof off. And he, he's like... Well, that's not going to be real expensive. Um, and, you know, are you sure you don't want to do something big, you know, go see the world? And, well, yeah, but we're not going to have the money to do that. So, so he says, well, your income in retirement should be able to match your passions. So, so that's, that's kind of sad. Um, 
even if we plan a great retirement, it rarely works out the way we imagine. Old age sets in with a vengeance. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, your body doesn't work the way it used to. I kind of laugh at Eric because he's walking around with a bum back right now. And the only reason I laugh is because I love him. Um, but um, 20 years ago, I was walking around with a bum back at age 47 and having muscle spasms. And, and he was kind of looking at me like, wow, you're getting old. And now I get to remind you. But he has no idea that 20 years from now, it's going to be much, much worse. So, so it doesn't, you don't get better, right? Um, you find out that the full life um, costs way more than you thought it would. Um, and the things that you thought you would look forward to, you know, I'm, you find out uh, playing golf every day is just as mind-numbingly boring as watching it on TV. So um, it's not exciting. But most of us don't have to wait till retirement to find out what we want to do and what we really want out of life. We, we want things now. We want a full life. We want um, maybe a spouse or some kids or a good family relationship or a great job or, or fun hobbies or lots of time off to do the things we enjoy or... Um, I, I think if I just handed you a card and said, write down a bunch of things that, that are your deepest longings for what you want out of your life, you, you'd probably be able to articulate what it is you want, what you really want. Now, those wants and desires may change over time, right? Like, I really, really, really wanted to be a jockey. And I'm kind of over that now, uh, which is good. <laughs> Horses are very grateful that I decided to not be a jockey. But like, so it evolves, right? Things change. When I, when I was a kid, I was going to, you know, teenager, I wanted to be a cop. I used to ride with police officers all the time. Um, I love, you know, doing that kind of stuff. But those things change. And so we have, but we all have these longings, these desires, these things that we want for our life. But the truth is, we want a good life. We want life to work for us. We want the kind of life that we really choose, and we want to make the choices. But the truth is, we only have two choices when it comes to how we will live our lives. We can seek a full life with God, or we can seek a life full of God. Those are drastically different things. In that first scenario, a full life with God, we are determining what is best for us, what we have to have, what's important, what we should seek after. In the search for a full life, I become king in the kingdom, and God is subject to my desires. He's my subject, right? Kings have subjects. So God, we become king, and then we have God as our subject. And he's good so long as he helps me, provides what I want. A full life means that I get what I want and when I want it, right? I, I get to have all the good things that I want when I want them. And so to arrive there, I need God to play his role. I need him to come through for me. Yeah, now, I'll do my part. I'll, I'll be a good person, you know, relatively. Um, I'll go to church. I'll pray. Uh, I'll appear religious, and, and I'll look good, and uh, I won't do anything blatantly bad that people notice, I'll, or if I do, I'll hide it so no one knows. Um, 
outrisk all those things uh, only to the extent that it gets me what I want. And I'll measure my satisfaction level regularly, and then I'll complain when he's not picking up his end of the bargain, right? When God doesn't come through for me, when he doesn't give me what I want, then, then he's not doing his job. And there are certain things that he becomes necessary for me to have to secure the things I want. I can't get them on my own. I'm not smart enough to be really wealthy, and I'm not brilliant enough to write the great American novel on my own. Um, I can't do these things by myself, so um, I'll need his help. And so he needs to give me those things or help me get the things that, that I can't get on my own. Now, the truth is, if that sort of works, but uh, I actually will stop doing the God thing if it gets way too hard or he stops filling in the slots that I need for him to fill. And we like to put God in slots, in little compartments. We, we like to compartmentalize God. We like boxing him in. We like exerting power over him. It feeds our need to be in control. Everyone in this room is a control freak, especially those of you who think you aren't, right? Because you want control. You want life to work the way you want it to be. And we want God to fit in that compartment, those areas where we we are sort of needy and we want him to perform for us and... um, And so we have compartmentalized lives. When we try to live the full life on our own, when we try to grab that full life, we we begin to live completely compartmentalized lives. I'm one way at home. I'm another way at work. I'm different when I'm alone with my wife than when we're apart. I bow my head in prayer at church but I never do that in the presence of my coworkers. I'm embarrassed when somebody does it at the table when I'm at my favorite restaurant. We have these compartmentalized lives. This is my life over here. This is my life over here. And the problem is our lives keep intersecting, right? All these little areas of our lives keep intersecting, and that's just annoying, right? Some of us don't want to invite people to come to church because they would be shocked that we actually went to church. Right? We don't like our compartments to be opened up. Are we all just really thrilled when somebody comes and reviews our browser history? looks at it, makes judgments about it. When somebody analyzes our lives, how we spend our money, where we spend our time. See, the problem with compartments is they're never the right size, and they keep interlapping, overlapping. And the truth is that any compartment you put God in will not contain him. (laughs) isn't a dog and pony show that performs for you. Our full life begins to unravel 
Health issues devastate us. Money issues constrict us. Relationships rip apart and tear away at the seams. We lose jobs we love. All sorts of things conspire against our full life. Age itself tears away incessantly at us. You see, we live in the age of decay. We don't get better. (laughs) Sorry to break that to you. Some of you think that's going to be true. And for a season, it feels that way. But it's not true. We live in an age of decay. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. We erode. I remember telling Kathy's dad that I wished old people would talk about something other than their medications and their doctor visits. I told him I wish they'd just talk to me about their lives and what all the amazing things and interesting things in their lives. And he said, Rod, medications and doctor visits are our lives. Right? That's how they're living. Because at the end, it gets harder and harder. We want to rule in this kingdom, in this kingdom of this world. But it's the wrong kingdom. In God's upside-down kingdom, he rules and we're the subject. In the world that we're invited into, in the full life that we're offered, in the life that's full of God, God is king and we're subject. God is king, I'm the subject. Romans 8, 5 through 11 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, who, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The spirit comes on us and in us. The spirit brings life. A life, our lives become a life full of God. We become flesh filled with spirit, God's spirit. And you say, yeah, but Rod, I still want that stuff that I want, (laughs) right? But here's what happens as you live out this life full of God, filled with God, a life full of God. There are benefits to that, amazing benefits, benefits that you can't recognize until you submit to it. One of the great benefits is that you begin to understand reality, You begin to see life as it truly is. You develop this great awareness of sin, your sin, your evil, 
the stuff you do wrong. You begin to understand the realities of life around you. Life begins to make sense. We know that we're born in sin. All of us are. And we hurt each other and we destroy each other and life doesn't work. And the great life that we thought we could live doesn't happen. I interview people for um, a real estate magazine, uh, real estate agents, and, and I've been in some beautiful homes. And I would think these people have everything that you could ever want. And you, and you start talking to them and, and you start seeing the brokenness and the emptiness and the loss. I used to think that people who were, you know, poor and destitute would be the ones who'd be suicidal. They're not. The highest suicide rate's up in the foothills, right? Because the things that we think bring life don't. We begin to understand the reality. We begin to understand that life is a process not an event. That living, that life with God is a process, not an event. It's a lifelong process. By the way, it's kind of hard because we don't get better, but we sort of do. Right? Life doesn't, this, this is hard to, to explain. Paul says at the beginning of his life, he says, I, I'm the least of the apostles. So he says, you know, I'm number 12 or 13, I'm number 11, whatever it is. He, I'm one of the apostles, but I'm not really, but I'm close. I, I could be one of the top dozen or so. At the end of his life, he says, I'm the worst of sinners. How does that happen? You know, there's this decline. You're going, no, Paul, like you're getting better and better because that's the, that's the mindset of living a life that's a full life is everything keeps getting better but that's not it for us. We become more and more aware of our sin. We become more and more aware of how, how we fail. We become more and more aware of what doesn't work. Life becomes this incredible process, not this one-time event where we finally get everything we want. <clears throat> One of the benefits of, of this life full of God is an incredible confidence. God has my best interest at heart. God loves me. He's never going to let go. I remember my mother on her deathbed saying, well, Jesus has been with me for 87 years. I don't think he's going to leave me now. A confidence. A confidence that got her through a horrific time. A tough time, a scary time. This confidence in the goodness of God. God is good. And you know that because of his presence. His presence comes to you in difficult times. One of the benefits is having the presence of God close by, real, nearby, all the time. When my, when my dad died... My, um, my mom says, would recount the story that she was walking out of the hospital and <clears throat> she said, suddenly I felt this arm around me and I was shocked because I wasn't expecting that and I turned and there was no one there but I heard this voice say, I'm with you 
right? The presence. I had those, I've had those same experiences. When, when God fills you up, when God's life laid down for you through Christ is in you, a life full of God allows you to understand and begin to taste his presence. And some of you are going to say, well, Ron, I, I, that never happens to me. I think it does. I think you have to think hard about those times when you've known in deep places that he's close by. It may not be a voice. It may not be the, a light in the room. It may not be some event. It, it, it may just be this quiet confidence to get through a day. One of the benefits is an intimacy with God. A, familiar, a familiarity with God, right? Do you realize how fun it is to pray? Like you get to talk to the God of the universe like he's your neighbor, like he's your buddy. You, you get to sit in a hot tub at my house and you get to hang out with God and say, hey, I'm here. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. God's always good. How are you doing, Ryan? Eh, I'm kind of worried about this and that. Yeah, I got that covered. You, you can talk to him. You can hear him talk to you. You can pick up the Bible anytime you want and start paging through, and you can hear him talk to you. He'll say stuff to you. You can ask him, please talk to me. Some of you say, well, Rod, it's been a long time since he's talked to me. Yeah, that, that can be true. We go through those seasons. I've gone through those seasons when I don't hear him at all. And then you cry out and cry out and cry out and do it every day and say, God, what do I need to change so that I can hear you? And then he comes so close sometimes that you can taste him. The other amazing thing that happens, a great benefit to this life full of God is, is a community. You're, you're surrounded by people, these people. And the morning service too, you know. Um, you're, you're surrounded by people. You're surrounded by people in your pilgrim group. You're surrounded by people in your monastic community. You're surrounded by, by pastors and leaders. You're not surrounded by Eric for a month. But other than that, we're, we're, you're surrounded by people who love Jesus, who have good things to offer you, who can speak truth into your life. God doesn't leave us alone. He, he sends us into these communities, churches, gatherings of God's people. We're surrounded by them. <clears throat> it's an incredible benefit. When you're going through difficult times, it, it's, it's amazing to be surrounded by community. I've told the story before about how we were, after my dad died, so incredibly poor and our furniture was a mess and all of a sudden one day somebody drove up and said, hey, we're going to take your furniture and get it recovered. My mom's freaking out and saying, what are we going to sit on? I brought some folding chairs from church. We can't sit on folding chairs forever. What's going on? Guy drives off with our old ratty furniture and drives back with a whole bunch of brand new furniture. Now, that furniture didn't come, it didn't fall down out of heaven. God didn't say, let there be furniture in, in the Hugen household and, and there was furniture there. No, he, he used God's people, a bunch of amazing couples who, who 
pooled their money, which they didn't have a lot of either, and bought new furniture for us. What an amazing thing. And that's what the community does. That's what this community does. Beautiful times. When I've been going through struggles, when Derek was in the hospital a few years ago, it was amazing. These wonderful frozen meals that our monastic community made and every morning, Kathy and I would throw one of them in the, in the crock pot, and every night we'd come, after visiting Derek all day, spending time with Derek all day, we'd come home, and, and there'd be this hot meal, thanks to these beautiful people. We're surrounded by his people. The other benefit is that you're God's kid. You're his kid. Romans 8, 17 to 21 says, Now if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hopes that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage of decay and brought into freedom and glory and the glory of the children of God. We're, we're God's kids. He's liberating us. He's freeing us. We live in this world of decay, but he's calling us out of it into life. He's interceding for us. Jesus is praying for us. I love uh, kids, obviously. Uh, You can tell that. I love holding them and talking to them and hearing them and playing with them and singing with them and doing all that kind of stuff. A while ago, Kathy and I bought a new refrigerator, and it's really annoying. Um, I do not like this new refrigerator. It's fabulous in so many ways. It's big. It's big keeps everything cool, what more could you want? But I don't like it because refrigerator magnets don't stick to the front. How stupid is that, right? So we don't have pictures of Jolie and Tara, and we, and we don't have the little, uh, if you, you know, uh, happiness was being married to a Dutchman. Um, we, don't, we don't have little plaques. We don't have the little thing. We don't have all that stuff stuck on the front of our refrigerator. But our work... The things that we do, the things that God invites us to, God's putting up on his refrigerator and he's saying, look, let's look what my kid did. Isn't this great? Isn't this fabulous? This is what my kid does. Read the story of Job. God's going to, Satan's coming up and going, well, you know, consider your servant down there. And, and, and God says, yeah, he's my kid. His works I, 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 I show the world. Do your best. God, a full life with God allows us to do useful, meaningful work. We have things that matter to do. Things that truly matter. Things that matter through the realm of all things. 
Not just things that get us stuff. A new car, better house, better job, more friends. But deep, meaningful things. Lives that change. Because relationship is real. The other benefit, another benefit is freedom. We get freedom. Freedom from shame. (laughs) That's kind of hard to believe sometimes, isn't it? Freedom from shame. We live our compartmentalized compartmentalized lives and, and there's some little dark corners that we would just assume no one ever saw. <clears throat> we do erase our browser history. We don't want people to see certain things. But a life full of God allows us to confess. That's what we do at the beginning of the service. Towards the beginning of the service there, what are we saying? We're saying, God, (laughs) we're all messed up. We really don't want to say it out loud, do we? If we said, everybody, why don't you turn to your neighbor and just tell all the horrible things that you need to confess? Would you just say those out loud to your neighbor? And we get pretty hinky. Uh, I'll just talk to Jesus about it. Silently, you know, in my head, so where no one can hear, right? We're a little nervous about that, but we ought not be, because guess what? We're all screwed up, and we're all sinners, just different. We're all messed up, every single one in this room. Sorry for those of you who thought you were doing pretty well. Mm, no. Um, but there's freedom from shame. And God, in his infinite mercy, does not require sin's consequences be extracted every single time. Because the wages of sin, according to Scripture, is death. We don't die. But God also mitigates the consequences of our sins. He doesn't make us suffer. He doesn't take glory and delight in watching us suffer and squirm. He takes glory and delight in watching us confess and acknowledge that we're messed up. And of course, in this world you'll have trouble. That's true. This life is difficult. We will suffer. But our suffering is meaningful. We recognize that we live in a sin-sick world And we ourselves are sin-sick and in desperate need of a God who loves and cares and sins sins his son and forgives us our sins. Jesus promises us that if we share in his suffering, we will share in his glory. It makes suffering make sense. That makes suffering make sense. That when we follow Christ, when we follow Jesus, yes, we're going to suffer. Hmm. Sorry. But we get to share in his glory. It's his glory, not ours, because it's his life that he offers us. In John 10, 9 through 11, 
Jesus says, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what he did. The good shepherd. He doesn't come to seek and kill and destroy. That's Satan's job. He comes to bring life, and not just life, but bring it more abundantly. A life full of God is in the life of abundance. Matthew six thirty three says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And we kind of read that and we go, oh, that's a pretty good option. <laughs> all those things, we start concentrating instantly on what all those things are, right? I've got my list. We're right back to where we were, right? I've got my list of what, all the things that I need. God's going to give them. So all I've got to do is what? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You can't bargain with God. You can't buy him off. And you can't pretend to seek his kingdom to seek the full life, the life full of God, can't be faked. If you seek after his righteousness, you'll be confronted by your sin and your unworthiness. All your compartments will be revealed. You will know that you're a sinner. Like Paul, at the end of his life, you'll say, I'm a mess. But the good news is that Jesus comes to offer you a full life, a life of abundance that will look nothing at all like you thought it would. I hope you receive that benefit. I hope you know that benefit. I hope in life's struggles and in the pain and the suffering and in the sin and in the sorrow and in all the weeping and gnashing of teeth and all the horrors of, of life as we live it, that you'll know in the deep places a life full of God. You invite him. You say, God, just take over my life. Come in and fill me up. Send your spirit. Guide me. Show me. Teach me. Walk with me. He will. Any questions, pushbacks, thoughts? Roger, an idiot. Nothing. I actually have a hodgepodge of thoughts in my brain, and I'm going to try to do my best to make sense of them all. Um... I'm not looking forward to the summer. And there's just a whole bunch of stuff that is packed into that. Um, There was a lot of things that I went through last summer, and I'm just concerned about how they're all going to come up. And I really think sincerely that I experienced not the presence of God last summer, but the absence of God as I walked through life with two very, very sick parents 
And I lost two friends, one to death, one to just not being able to be friends anymore. And my grandmother died, and all of these things happened all at once. And I've realized in the last month or two that when I've actually experienced probably felt closer to God than I have in a long time, that in the absence of God and that feeling that absence, I was actually experiencing a communion with Christ because even Jesus felt the absence of God at the end when he was on the cross. And so to go into that and to experience that distress is, a, is, a, is an invitation to Jesus to, to know that he is experiencing exactly what we're experiencing and that he's not out in the sidelines gloating over this. But he is in the muck, feeling that pain and feeling that separateness and feeling that brokenness with us. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. That's, uh, I think that's the other thing, right? We would go through those things anyway without him. <laughs> How beautiful that we can go through those things with him. Anyone else? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your gift of life. Give us life. Real life. Life with you. Life filled with you. Father, go down into those places where we hide. Tear down those places and fill us with life everywhere. In Jesus' name, amen.